Good evening. Here's what's happening. We're interrupting our special broadcasting to bring you this special report, um, a new C news break on the People's Temple mass suicides in Guyana and the murder of Congressman Leo Ryan. I would mention to- well, the bodies of at least 409 men, women and children, some shot to death, most apparently self-poisoned, have been found at the Guyana jungle camp of People's Temple. The aim of it was to build a utopian society. The peace, the beauty. The sense of accomplishment and responsibility and and camaraderie that's here. We are making a place of refuge for all of you here. None of this would have been possible had it not been for Jim Jones. Even a lot of hardened news people reacted in horror and disbelief. The word on everybody's lips was shades of Auschwitz. More than 400 of Jones's followers are still missing. Speculation that many of them may have been marched out into the jungle and shot. How does a church go so astray? How does one man hold so much power over 900 plus people that they will lay down their lives and the lives of their children for him? Tonight, we talk the Jonestown mass murder and its legacy on Hysteria 51. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not hysteria you can't handle the truth brain is gone this is hysteria 51 the truth is out there it's a lie but you won't find it here they're coming for you look there comes one of them now welcome in hysteria nation to the podcast that has never met jim jones thank god But we know a guy who knows a guy who knows Jim Belushi. This is Hysteria 51. Speak for yourself. I met him. You weren't even around when he was around. I literally built you three years ago. Whatever lets you sleep at night. You know, Jim Belushi, he's also from the lower fourth. He is. is. And he went to SAU Carbondale. He did. It's almost like we're just a step behind him. I bet we could get him. Anyway, broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago, we're your hosts and head investigators in this twisted tale, Brent Hand and John Goforth. And the third voice you're hearing is our resident drunk, also a robot I built to make our podcast better, who instead just gets drunk and kills cats. He is the one and the only, thank the Lord, conspiracy bot. Don't forget I also screw up the show on purpose. If you're giving my resume, get it right. Anyway, speaking of drunk, I need your help. What now, dude? We told you we're not helping you with your new booze business. It's a startup. Thank you. And I know you won't. You're an idiot. But I know someone who will. I'm going on Shark Tank. You're what? Did I stutter? I'm going on Shark Tank. How in the world are you getting on there? Pretty simple. Gonna take an Uber down there, pay the entrance fee, and go on. Entrance fee to be on Shark Tank? What are you talking about? Well, it costs money to get in. You should know. It's your money. Hold on, Brent. Hold on. I think I've got this one. Seabot, you're taking an Uber, huh? Where exactly uh, are you going to be on Shark Tank? The Shed Aquarium. I think I'm starting to put the pieces together. Uh, So you heard that you could get startup investment from Shark Tank. So I'm going to guess here. I'm going to take a wild guess. You Googled Shark Tank Chicago. Is that that right? (laughs) And you're going to the Shed Aquarium to be on a Shark Tank. Got it. I think it's a great idea, buddy. I'll even pay for the Uber. You already did. It's on the way. <laughs> great thing. <laughs> and I'm breathing. Let's transition to our topic and guess. Last week, we told you about the monster Jim Jones. 
This week, we're going to get into what actually happened at Jonestown, Guyana. And if you listen to our last episode, you'll know our guests did such a mediocre job. I kid. Uh, that we invited him back this week first. Back in the lower fourth dimension, like he never left, because he likely never left, mm-hmm. Mr. Joe Peck. Pecker! His name is Pecker. I just Welcome been back. sitting here waiting for you waiting. guys to regather. I turned the light on. You were here. Yeah, I didn't know. Well, well we got another bumper to play. His name is... Captain Crispy. His competition for space in your hearts is here again, and Mr. La- Kevin Crispin. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just here for the socialist paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, back in the lower fourth for only the second time, but likely already more respected than either of the other two. I, I, believe, that. I believe that. Oh, I believe it too. Mr. Christopher Markham. Woo! Well, thank you very much, and uh, I'm here for the monkeys if you have any for sale. I, yeah, I heard there were some monkeys for sale here. You know, you don't have to pay me. Just let me in, tell you a little story. Oh, thing I'm running. You keep this going. You're gonna get another. Temple. You're gonna get another BJ and the Bear reference. <laughs> <laughs> so last week we told you about Jim Jones, the monster responsible for this horrific tragedy. We're getting the meat of it: the actual Jonestown, the murders, the massacre, whatever you want to call it. We're gonna break down just what happened, how it happened, and its legacy. So first, let's start off. I think the best place to start is some cold hard facts and stats to let you know what kind of tragedy we're actually dealing with in case you're not familiar. And even if you've heard of it, you might not know exactly what went down. So on November 18th of 1978, the mass murder suicide of members of the California based People's Temple cult took place at the urging of their leader, Jim Jones. Yeah, not to play spoiler here, but that's the, this yeah. is what this is all leading to. And it happened in the Jonestown Agricultural Commune in Guyana. And the death toll exceeded 900, including, and this is disgusting, 300 people aged 17 and under, many of which were infants or toddlers. And this is the largest mass death suicide in American history. Like we said in the intro to last week's yeah. episode, it before 9-11 was the largest civilian death casualty ev- yeah. event. Um, and then after 9-11, obviously second largest. We're going to talk about this, and they say hindsight's twenty twenty. but how does a diverse church group who set out to build, as they said, and they thought they were really doing paradise on Earth, a utopian society free of racism and hatred, end up unleashing, for all intents and purposes, hell on Earth that culminated in one of the greatest crimes in our modern time. We're going to try to answer that. I don't know how well we're going to do, but we're going to try. And it is, it's a disgusting story. So how does one man, I think, let's start by going, John, how does one man steer so many so far astray? I think we need to start with just, it was a cult, and so let's define what a cult is. Right. Cult. Noun. A system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. Check. (laughs) We actually went over this in our uh, Heaven's Gate episode, but it's a good refresher. Mm -hmm. Or a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Met. Finally, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. Oh, sweet. And, you know, it's funny. I think the key word there is excessive. And, you know, of course, that's a... it's an objective word, right? Right. But it is certainly the key word there. I think that third one is the one that fits the most in this whole Jim Jones and the Jonestown story. In my opinion, it's the one that fits in most cults. Exactly. Exactly so. I tried to say this last time. And I don't know how if I got my point across. Or not. How eloquent you were. No one sets out to join a cult, I hope. 
you know, you might start out to try to build one, but no one sets out to join one. But some of us do have plans to build them. <laughs> but so many <laughs> find themselves in one. And Jonestown and the People's Temple, it was no different. These people found themselves in a cult. Do you think they knew it, at least towards the end, or do you think they were blindsided yes. by it? I think some of them, of course, knew it, and I think they they uh, fell for this guy for his, quote, authenticity and, and saying what's on his mind, but also the cause. That's it, the cause. I think there's so many of them that knew what Jim was doing was wrong, knew that Jim was probably a bad person, yet the cause was what they really cared about, and they saw Jim as the person that was going to make that happen. Or they were truly just frightened. Uh, you know. Mama don't like tattletales. Plus, he, he got so, after people. Well, snitches along that line of get questioning... Stitches. Get stitches, right? Well, yeah. stitches, yeah. Along that line of questioning, I, I, I'm always curious, and I want to hear you guys' feedback on this, of like, one of the things that strikes me as unusual with the Jim Jones story is typically when you think of some sort of whether it's an alt religious group, a quote unquote cult, whatever, or even just a bad person doing bad things. You think of recently, you know, like something like the Jerry Sandusky situation in, in recent years, or even on a, a larger scale and an older scale, you think of like Scientology. Most people don't look at that and say, Jerry Sandusky acted alone and there was no one involved that could enable him. We all know, like lots of people are in prison because of that. Or you look at Scientology, like no one says everyone is following the deceased leader, L. Ron Hubbard. There's this group of people that sort of run things. I never hear or read or see anything about that with Jim Jones. It's sort of like there's him and there's the followers. Do you guys know of any evidence? Was there sort of an elite? Yes, group there was in there? an elite. There, there were enabling. Was. They're called the Planning Commission. Mm -hmm. And at first, the Planning Commission was a small number, but it grew to about a hundred at one point. And it became, if you were part of the Planning Commission, you were part of the like the chosen group. It became a kind of a, a hierarchy, a class, a caste yeah. system within the temple. And um, those planning commission members were able to mete out punishments and do Jim's bidding, to especially when he got really bad with the drugs. Then most of some of those people really came to the fore. And later on, when we're at Jonestown, we can talk more about Maria Katsaris and, and Carolyn Layton mm -hmm. and more. Now, I don't know if this is true of every member of the planning commission, but certainly a lot of them being in the planning commission was kind of like being chief of staff at the White House you're not going to be there the whole time the leader's there. Like, you burn out. And a lot of the Planning Commission did, and a lot of them eventually left and turned and turned on Jones and were one of the reasons that eventually the congressman, Congressman Ryan, went to Jonestown because of some of the information right. that the that former Planning Commission members had Concerned relatives. Right. So, yeah. so is the thought that some of them ended up becoming so ensconced in it that they are equally culpable to him, or is the thought that no, they were no, the blind followers as well? well just, yeah. I think that, uh, if I may, sorry, right. uh, I think the thought is they got a taste of the same same sort of power, yeah. and they saw through Jim as his faculties are diminishing because of the drugs. They could start to step up and take the place of some of that power. Right. The thing about it is. We're looking at these people. How do you follow a monster? How do these people that are these planning commission, how do you follow these people? Well, the temple was very active in humanitarian causes in its community. In a time of prejudice and hate, it was a welcome escape, a very welcome escape. And escape was the actual plan eventually. And what I mean by that is for over three years, Jones and, and all the people worked with the Guiana government to create Jonestown. And so in the fall of 73, 
after this critical newspaper articles by Lester Kinsolving and the defection of eight temple members, Jones and the Temple attorney Tim Stone uh, prepared an immediate action contingency plan for responding to a police or media crackdown. He knew it was coming at one point they were going to have something put down. So the plan listed various options. We we talked about, you know, they were they were looking at places in Brazil, included maybe fleeing to Canada or the Caribbean missionary post. Uh they looked at Barbados, Trinidad, places like that. And they actually quickly chose Guyana. A lot of it had to do with its extradition treaties with the U.S. So he knew it was a place that he was going to be able to stay. Meaning the U.S. could not demand him back. Right. It was also one of the few uh, countries in South America that was already socialist. Yes. Yeah. They embraced it. In Georgetown, the capital, Russia had their own consulate there. It was very much a it was a very pro-communist and socialist place. So. By October 73, the directors of the temple, Jones and his, and his cronies, passed a resolution to establish an agricultural mission there. Why Guyana? Well, we kind of said that because of its own social policies. Uh, they were moving further left during the selection process. But former temple mer- member Tim Carter, who plays into a lot of these stories yes. we're going to talk about. Tim Carter was a, a key figure. And some people question a lot of the things he says. But, you know, he comes forward with a lot. Say that reasons for choosing Ghana were temple views of a perceived dominance of racism and multinational corporations in the U.S. government. They want to get away. Carter said the temple concluded that Guyana, an English-speaking socialist country with a predominantly indigenous population and with a government including prominent black leaders, would afford black temple members a peaceful place to live. On paper, that sounds great. English speaking is is key as well. And also, let's be honest, not a very powerful government. So you you have to know that they perceived that and knew that they could kind of get away with what they wanted as long as there was some money to grease some palms. When you see that, when you are a person who likes to take advantage of situations, as Jim Jones has proven to be, obviously, Guyana's going to look attractive. So he kept injecting himself into politics everywhere. He wasn't a politician, but he got behind these politicians everywhere he went. And also in Guyana, there were times when he would send uh, temple members to forge relationships, like romantic relationships, with Guyanese government. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. What was the name for? Uh, they they had a name for yeah. the women that provide, like, literally, were there to provide these yep. services. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, they well, had the title for it? The, uh-huh. the children Concubine. of God had the same thing, and they were uh, flirt, uh, f- f- uh, flirty fishers with children of God. Right, right, yes, right. yeah. He used Similar. this because yeah. he looked at Yana. He saw it as this small, poor, and independent enough for him to easily obtain influence and official protection which he got from the prime minister because they aligned in their views and it's something he and was in used their to. pocketbooks exactly and it's well, what and he was used specifically to. the prime minister that one of the women like was specifically assigned to him and this is what kind of differentiates him from a lot of other cult leaders is he enjoyed public support and he had contact with some of the highest level politician in the United States, especially when he's in San Francisco. Yeah. We talked about he was with Rosalind Carter and, and the mayors and, and, and all Mondale, the government. Governors, all these, yeah. presidents. You I know, mean, he was probably uh, he was, the most powerful person in the history of America, Walter Mondale. Walter Mondale, yeah. So in 74, Jones and the Temple negotiated a lease of over 3,800 acres of land in the jungle. Uh, it's about 150 miles west of the Guyanese capital of Georgetown. It's also northwest. Really bringing down, it was a dumb choice. <laughs> it was such a d- It's isolated. 
it had terrible soil, so it couldn't really grow yeah. much. The nearest body of water was seven fucking miles or 11 kilometers away on mud roads. And to keep things interesting, Jonestown uh, location wasn't too far from the Guinea's disputed border with Venezuela. And uh, the actual one of the reasons prime minister was like, yeah, take this is he thought if he put an American presence and American citizens there, it might deter a military incursion that they thought was coming at any time. Hey, Joe, fingers crossed on that. Uh, what year was it that we as collective humanity decided that it might be smarter to build our encampments, our, our, our cities, our uh, living quarters uh, close to water? I can tell you with absolute certainty there is no year because it literally never year. wasn't that way. The, the, <laughs> when was the, the first year? The moment the light sparked in the mind of the first man what was to gather others together around something. It was water. <laughs> literally, civilization. It, it wasn't a rock. It wasn't a tree. Yeah, wait, but there was probably one group that gathered around a rock. We haven't heard much yeah, about they're, them. They're called, they're called Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta, where the coolest thing about the city is it's about an hour and a half away from Savannah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say an hour and a half away from the Georgia Guidestones. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Ooh. So they decide, yep, this is the perfect place. Let's build. <laughs> 50 members begin the construction of Jonestown, and that and blows up And they say it was rough. Oh, uh, rough So you're talking about people that it. showed up there, built a shack to, to sleep in. And they had to clear out jungle by hand. But the best part is the videos and pictures and advertisements to convince the people to go there. It was like literally straight out of like a 1970s timeshare scam. Oh, yeah. Like, look at this paradise that's awaiting you. And then it was none of this. But those first 50, they literally, they said they had to work, you know, 18 yeah, hour days. Yeah. Uh, they were clearing out well, jungle by he hand. Used, uh, what was Kim, Kim Jong or Kim Jong Il's father? I can't remember. Yeah, he used his, his principle of eight hours of work, eight hours of study, eight hours of sleep. And that was how they, Jones envisioned that this would go. And the best day that they ever had after months of work was when they got a bulldozer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, is why I that... think those videos are amazing. They're just such a testament to the the fortitude and the will of those people. They called them the yes. pioneers, the first mm-hmm. people that ever they were at Jonestown. If you look later, if you never knew that story and you just looked at the, the buildings and yeah. the, the clearings, and you find out that they did that all themselves, and that they did get some heavy machinery later on, and that they worked with some Guineas locals to figure out what kind of crops that what they had to do to the right. soil to grow anything at all, anything, right, right. But the fact that they were able to have what they had, right. So, so they cleared most of that out without bulldozers. Right. Right. Later on, first. At very first, it was like machetes and, and hand tools. That's fucking insane. Yeah. But then later, they they did. Were able to That's some. some the, 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 those are some strong people. Well, and, but the whole time that they're doing this, he's spinning this yarn of the socialist paradise and the sanctuary, and he's also working with the the officials, the Guyan government, and they were getting granted permission to import certain things duty free. That was another thing. He's like, you can bring things. Plus, later payoffs helped him safeguard shipments of other things like. Firearms and all the drugs he was using. Say, in yeah, you can bring things, preferably guns and drugs. Yeah, because it's, he needed them bring for whatever church you want, purposes. But make sure you bring a lot of those. And if you're not familiar with church stories, purposes, it, it's it's worth noting. I know that that's at what this my dad's point, church uses. At no point when any of the um, the certain buildup was going on, was Jim Jones actively living there. 
Right. He was not. Right. No. So well, hell th- no. There are all of these people living there, and they say that once they got established, once they had a schoolhouse, once they had multiple living quarters, once they had a a big uh, utility kitchen and um, softball field was. They the, actually had a uh, the main. They had a threshold. softball field. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lawn. They had a laundry behind the kitchen because you could dry your clothes from the heat from the oven. Uh, I mean, but they said it, w- it was kind of like paradise to them. It was every- it was laid back. Breakfast would be this leisurely breakfast of biscuits and coffee, and everyone was just really happy. And and like they worked their they worked their tails off, but they were all friends. It was kind of communal living, and they were and building something together. They were building something together. And then Jim Jones would visit. He visited oh. once to make one of these propagandist videos that you were talking about, and the atmosphere would completely change. Yep, right. What, like, it would go from this amazing happy place to this dark cloud looming over. And these are the adjectives that they used right. about their leader's visit. And, and, but uh, so up until then, it was a completely different place. And, and they would use people's experiences as propaganda to get others to yeah. come there. But then they kept sending more people there. Right. And he's using this as go there, go there, go there for a reason. Things are going astray in the U.S. for him. Time's not great. And we talked about this in the last one, but Temple members were being regularly humiliated, beaten, blackmailed, uh, coerced or brainwashed into signing over their possessions, including their homes to the church. Black members and members of other minority groups were convinced that if they left the People's Temple, they would be rounded up by government concentration camps and exterminated. That's something that he'd preached to them, they believed. And family members were kept apart and encouraged to inform on one another. That sounds like another religion that's out there, but we're going to leave it nameless right now. And this did not go unnoticed. That's a big thing. Past members and family members of people that were active in the People's Temple began to protest. And the people that ha- were past members were really good at protesting. Remember, oh, we where talked- did they learn that? Yeah, exactly. They were rounded up on buses and told to protest. Yeah. Well, they knew how to do it. And so <laughs> they began to protest, to ask questions, to reach out to authorities, it. to do it in a way that actually got results. And it did. So in 77... After members of the press began to ask questions about Jones' operation, he kind of realized it's time to, to cut and run. That it, the writing was on the wall. And I think that this wasn't just a, a gradual thing. You know, we're, John was making a good point about how the people were at Jonestown at first. Once they got kind of stabilized. Right. And I think that goes to a good point where it wasn't just about Jim. It wasn't about religion. It was about the cause and it was about socialism and it was about the political aims that they had because they acted a certain way. In Jones's absence, there wasn't any of the punishments. There wasn't any of the stuff. There was right. movie nights. Well, no, was... you read about that stuff mm-hmm. when he wasn't there, and it literally sounds like San sounds Francisco in the '60s. Yeah, like right. it's like all it they're missing. Like there's some Almond Brothers and, and flowers Dead in their hair, and, and like, yeah, and also that they were working towards having enough facilities and and infrastructure yeah. and support to have as many of the people as wanted to come. But um, as we're going to find. Um, everything happened in a much uh, accelerated way, and that so it was it That's was meant perfect, to yeah right it was meant to be holding like a hundred or two hundred people at that time in yeah. 1977, Ooh. and then all of a sudden and it got accelerated. Hours. We we keep talking about media attention, but there was one specific mm-hmm. article that got it done, and it was an article in New West Magazine. Interesting story. Um, this came from another member of his inner circle. The publisher of New West Magazine called Jones. And said, I, I just want you to be aware we're going to publish this tomorrow. This is an expose and it's not exactly gratifying uh, <laughs> on, on, on your, on your church. And it says and, verbatim. And, and he <laughs> read them 
he read them the article because they were on speakerphone. Jim is looking around, and people in the room say he's looking more and more stricken as they go on. Eventually, Jim writes a note and and passes it around to all the people in the room, and all the note says is, we leave tonight. And not only do they leave tonight, him and several hundred people left within six fucking hours. That's how much pull he had. The article calls out almost everything that we talked mm-hmm. about in the first episode, from his beating of members, his extortion plans, everything. Mm-hmm. And hadn't all of these people, or most of them, given all of their money and their possessions to him by then anyway? So, so when, he says, have, when he says, uh, we're leaving, it's like, uh, okay. So, boom, he takes several hundred people to Jonestown, and it's up and running. I, uh, for. For better or for worse, like you said, we're ready for a few hundred people. Well, guess what? Huh? 200? No, we're bringing a lot more than that. <laughs> so you know what? Let's head to break. And when we come back, let's talk what life was like there when this huge influx came in. Because he was scared. I think that's the best way to put it. Coming up next on Hysteria 51. Scared is a good way to put it. Hysteria in doubt. It's how you live your life, right? Kind of sales 101. Uh, yeah, but not this way. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation, too. So (laughs) you can, you know, learn how to speak. And, you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. (laughs) In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's they design it for long-term retention, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and Mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this, and this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now, right now. Get now. started for Larry limited time. Hysteria fifty one listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. How much? Fifty percent. Visit Rosetta Stone dot com slash today that's 50 percent off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life wow redeem redeem, redeem. how do they do it rush your 50 percent off rush redeem it 50 percent off rosettastone.com slash today do it today After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. 
So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I mean, yes, I, I do live my life in fear, but I also don't know how to plant crops. Well, well so, guess what? There's yeah. someone's going to teach you, and they're going to teach you in the jungles of Guyana, because Jones is going to take you to a paradise and utopia. And you know how you know it was Finally. a paradise or a utopia? Because Jim Jones said it was. The, uh, other than that, <laughs> bananas. I can't tell you how many videos I so watched. So many about bananas. This. Mm. So many bananas. And so many mentions of ba- bananas. Small ones, large ones. There's just bananas Plantains. everywhere. Well, he was, he was getting ready to chips. start his new monkey business. They had to have bananas, oh! man. He was, whoa. So that's, that's the question. Does Mr. Muggs, does Jim bring Mr. Muggs, mm-hmm. uh, the, the you know mascot, did. or where did Mr. Muggs come from? You know, How I think he got thrown he away was... like bubbles, because I didn't see any... No, uh, Mr. Muggs was in, I think, Ukiah, and then he went down with him. Yeah, I Mr. think so. Mr. Muggs was given a dose of catharsis, and yeah. he's like, oh, yeah. he's, the, he's like, guys, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm <laughs> right? damn, fuck this. Do you think there was a lot of comedy in Jonestown, what with all the banana peels? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, that's pretty great. Just like Chris said, this is a big thing. He comes and they showed the arrival. He's coming in and they were talking about it. And boom, this dark cloud looms over them as soon as he gets there. And they said life just changed overnight. People said the atmosphere completely changed. Morale dipped as it would. Movie night, you were talking about, canceled in favor of Soviet propaganda shorts he would play and documentaries on American social problems. Uh, also movies, by the way, so let's not get too crazy. <laughs> what are the chances that actually it just happened to be that what right when he came, it was when the seasons were turning to winter? <laughs> it's like, no, they, they, there were dark clouds in the sky. It was cold. The atmosphere changed. It was or, no he's good. a Dementor from the yes. Wizarding World. Oh, my God. Exactly. He just shows up. So, and the evidence cold. is all there. Uh, uh, so last week we had movie night. What did we watch? Uh, Butch and Sundance. Oh, wh- what are we gonna? Watch, uh, what are we gonna watch this week? Marxism and you. Yes. Yeah. Very why similar. You why you don't want your own property? <laughs> <laughs> We're watching a documentary on the Long March. The other thing oh, that love it. The other thing that really changed when he got there is he had all these bureaucratic requirements. So labor sap for other resources. And when I say bureaucratic. It's not even there. 
outside of it. It's also, he had this huge infrastructure inside Jonestown. Buildings started falling into disrepair. Weeds were growing. Like, shit was just getting overgrown. Right, and we have to say this, too, that when we were talking about the pioneers and that they had it stabilized and they had it going on and they felt pretty good about things, that's because there were 100 people there and all 100 of them could work. Once the 800, 900, 1,000 people are there, a large portion of them are elderly, cannot work. A large portion of them are children, cannot work. So all the work has to be done by just a small number so of the that, people. Yeah, and you take the, the, the workforce, and then you divide it up to a lot of them are also taking care of the elderly, taking right. care of the sick. Uh, and they're, the children. They're teaching the children. And even the children, they're talking about they were in, like, one room, like, shacks, 33 kids to a person. Right. Well, the court like that. Well, that's... The, not the, to mention the dysentery that broke out. That that'll, oh, that'll oh, take they, you down. They were shit themselves like crazy. Yeah, literally dysentery and fever was breaking out rampant. Yeah, the them. Oregon Trail was a, a paradise yep. compared. Yep. The, the quarters were. Um, My oxen they, died. The quarters were basic, you know, four walled structures. Meant Not five to walls make, like we got up in the lower fourth dimension. <laughs> uh, of all the things I've said, you decided to zone in on that one. Yep, you're right. Um, I, the, it meant to meant to house like four people. And they would have ten or twenty people in one of these same, uh, these same shacks. And they always say, "Well, Jones lived with other people too, and he did, but not like that." And he uh, also, yeah. in his shack, he had was it called sodas. the West House? He had sodas yes. and snacks and yeah, treats the, the and, and meat, which was a a blessing if you could get meat while you were there. Things like that. School and study time, there were there there was that. There was night lectures for adults, and but they turned before it was a. A good thing they were they were mm. learning they were doing what they were doing. It turns to discussions about revolution and enemies with lessons focused on Soviet alliances, uh, Jones crises, and he talks about these mercenaries are going to be sent by Tim Stone who had defected from the People's Temple and turned against the group. He's sending these mercenaries; they're going to kill everyone. A caravan of mercenaries, yes, and yes. the uh, horrible, uh, you know, tigers, all these animals. These he kept describing. If you go out into the jungle. You will be eaten immediately, right? The you know that's what they're telling the kids. The mm -hmm. kids are being told these horrible stories about don't go anywhere near the jungle. Which who's going to run into the jungle? They just got off a sixteen-hour work day. Yeah. You know, they said if you worked a twelve-hour, that was like, whoa, what did you do? That was awesome. Like you, you're in favor. You know, that's crazy to think. And, and we said earlier that yeah, it, it sucked because you couldn't build any or excuse me, grow anything from the soil, but that it was isolated. And I think it was isolated for a reason because. Jim didn't like when that one boy left that barn when he was giving his preacher and when he was young. <laughs> right, 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 bang, bang. Yeah, you know, and, and, and this is now he's him. like, well, we're going to clear this out. And then right in the middle of this thick ass jungle, which there were tigers and there were all these things that will or something that will kill mm -hmm. you. Well, and the other thing is when you're you're out there and you're 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 working these 16 hour days, then you got to sit through these lectures. And not only are they lectures, he had a PA system and he would record these lectures or just be on the PA because he's, mm -hmm. he's hopped up on drugs all night long, screaming in these these Marxist social doctrines all night long. It's like if my he apartment. wasn't awake, he just played them on repeat. And those drug problems we were talking about have gotten even worse at this point. And so most of these rambling uh, lectures are incoherent. And, uh, and, and that's the fun part because then he might randomly come find you the next day or the next time they get together as a group oh. and quiz you on the lecture. And if you couldn't get his quiz correct, his questions correct, you got a bout of catharsis. 
Yep. And catharsis got worse. And See, we this talked is why I couldn't, I couldn't run a cult like this because that's the if, only reason. If I had access to a speaker system twenty four seven, I would just be doing like comedy routines and also oh. saying, "You are all appreciated. Your hard work Tip is your not waiter. going unnoticed." Tip your waiter. <laughs> and now, everybody, put your hands together and welcome to the stage, Portia. And these questions, <laughs> like it just no, no, a no, random no. comedy. Partially, our, our strip club has. Higher standards. Welcome to the main stage, Doris. <laughs> Following up on the side stage, we got Midge. Because they're used their real names. <laughs> <laughs> the catharsis got worse. Before, I mean, it sounded bad before. They would humiliate you. They'd beat you. Now, uh, for kids, for instance, if they were going to be, uh, if they were going to go through catharsis, they might just get thrown into a box. They had, they had buried a storage container they called the box or something like that. And would throw them in there, and they would have, they, in the complete darkness, they would have someone whisper things like, "You're gonna, we're, I'm, I'm after you, I'm gonna get you." And then adults would be stripped naked, might be beaten while they were walking through the crowd. They would do all sorts of horrible. So shit So one to other people. thing with the kids, the next iteration of that was. Then they started putting them at the bottom of a well yep. and doing that. And the next iteration was they hung them in that well upside down for 24 the, hours. The most disturbing thing that I, I heard was actually audio of this. A guy who survived and his friend tried to get away when they were, he was about 12 years old and they ran into the jungle and they were eventually hunted down by the, the, security team and brought back and they had the entire Jonestown people there. And this is all on audio documented. And they're like, what do you think we should do? And the guy's mother's like, I think we should kill him. She's like, I think you should allow me to shoot him because it will mean more in front of everyone when I'm the one who kills them. And this is his mother. Of course he wasn't killed, but he was like, we didn't know. And people we're always assuming that if they did run away, they would be killed. That was just a, that's yeah. what was going on. Well, and it was a fair assumption, too. Jones had a history of being associated with deaths of temple members. Yep. There were at least eight deaths before they even went to Guyana in, in California that were suspicious. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we mentioned how... Uh, Trip fell in a shotgun, shot himself twice in the back of the head. Who hasn't had that nightmare? <laughs> we mentioned how Congressman Ryan eventually comes. That's at the behest of a father of a former temple member. And we'll get, we'll get to his visit in a bit. But it is well known amongst the temple that death is not necessarily uh, off the table. And that's the way that Jones wanted it. Yeah. He absolutely did. A cable comes from the U.S. Embassy in Guyana to the U.S. Department of State in June '78. And it characterized the autonomy that Jones subsequently found in Guyana as this. This is a quote. During the consular visits, it has been observed that the local Guyanese administration exercises little or no control over the Jonestown community and that the settlement's autonomy seems virtually total. That is due to a variety of reasons, which include the fact that the area in question is remote and thus the government's rather primitive administrative machinery is already overstrained by its obligations to the Guinea citizens living in the region, as well as an understandable disinterest in the part of the local officials to bother with an apparently self-sufficient community of non-Guyanese who obviously are not actively seeking any extensive contact with the Guyanese environment to which their settlement is located. 
What we have, therefore, is a community of American citizens existing as a self-contained and self-governing unit in a foreign land of which, for all intents and purposes, is furnishing to the residents all of the community services such as civil administration, police and fire protection, education, health care, etc., normally provided by a central government within its territory. That was the report on it. And that sounds like the beginnings of a dictatorship. It or really a cult. Or, well, yeah, right. That was alarming to people back home. That was the report. And though it sounds kind of innocuous, oh, they're off on their own. They're off on their own. And he, they knew what he was maybe capable of. So that was scary. And problems started creeping in very fast. We talked about how bad the, the, the soil was. Well, guess what? Food started running short. It, it, bad soil, Jonestown was not self-sufficient. It had to import large quantities of commodities such as wheat and things. The problem is they had money to do it. Right. He just wasn't doing it. Right. He had something like a, a tapped, like 20-some, 20 $23 million yeah. when it was said and done, which would have went astronomically far in housing and taking care of these people. He was just stockpiling for end of times. You said food was running short? Mm -hmm. So eventually it went from having the biscuits and coffee and everything else in the morning I referenced before to everyone was uh, eating rice and they'd get smaller and smaller portions of rice. There was also a big problem with bugs there. They didn't have enough screens. They didn't pay for enough screens and they didn't have a lot of food cleanliness. It got to the point where they would all try to eat in the dark so they couldn't see what they were eating in their rice. Oh, my God. Well, and that's the point too with the with the population of Jonestown exploding so quickly, and you we see that you know Jonestown first guys the first pioneers went there in seventy three, everybody showed up in seventy seven. So for four years, they'd been working stuff out, right, trying to get it going, and from the time Jim shows up in seventy seven, we're going to find out that there's not much time left. Everything else happens. Right. In less than one year's time. That's a good, that's a good point. It was just, it's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it that way. That if you look at the entirety of the timeline of Jonestown, all of this horribleness that you read about or that we're talking about today happened pretty much from the moment he got there on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and so for that one year must have been just a hell on earth. Think of those people like you're talking to these pioneers, how, how much every single they night was a hell on earth. Yeah. It, the problem is, too. Their way of communication with the outside world was ham radio, okay? And they would talk, and people were finding out what was going on there, and it was leaving the outside world kind of bewildered, and they were taking note. And family members of the people that were starting, were there, were starting to really worry about uh, what was happening, and that kind of spelled the beginning of the end. Uh, I told you up to $65,000 a month in welfare payments were going to the temple just being written over children were surrendered to communal care and they were only allowed to see their biological parents briefly at night. Not every day. That's crazy. They had their own way of policing uh, people methods. We talked about all, you know, we already went through that, the torture hole and the well and things like that. These things start really adding up. They also drugged some of their people, Brent. They, uh, they would use drugs like Thorazine, which I'm going to need after this episode. Uh, sodium pentothal. I keep that on hand. <laughs> no, you don't, <laughs> does he? Truth there. No. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know. <laughs> um, chlorohydrate, Demerol, and Valium would be administered in the, quote, extended care units. Yep. And, and oh, then you extended got- extended care. It's like, yeah, that's real nice. Yeah, and then you got the armed guards patrolled the area to enforce 
Jonestown's rules. Yeah, Brentstown's rules. Somebody's got to enforce the rules. Uh, they didn't true. have an empire, so. Oh, man. And then, I, like I told you, the, the shit like with that mother, you know, shoot him, shoot him. The outside world is finding out. It's so funny. They're so remote. They're so far away, and yet it's still being picked up on. Well, and and not only that, but we, we, we've talked continually about him managing and him ruling through fear. He did so many things. We talked early. We, we talked last episode about how, you know, was that stick of dynamite on the burn pile actually him doing it? Well, there were some things he did in, in Jonestown that were definitively him doing it. For instance, at one of their big meetings said that there are there are bad people out there and they want to get us. Fast forward, he had some of his own people go out into the uh, out into the jungle and shoot at his West House. Uh, while he was in it, but he knew when they were doing it because he sent them out there, and he just hid on against a wall, and everything was fine. He was they shot with real bullets too, didn't oh, they? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. And then of course he called an emergency meeting, and and said, "See, see, these fascists are out there, and they want to take away what we've built." And also, and, don't forget this bloody shirt from a couple years ago. Right. <laughs> and, well, and those meetings too. Uh, you go to church, and when when I was in church, the 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 meeting the sermon proper would start at maybe 10 30 in the morning and by 11 30 or noon uh you go and have mm-hmm. you know sunday dinner somewhere right. fellowship these meetings in the pavilion at jonestown they would be six hours eight hours ten hours long and, and everybody talking. just in the pavilion and you could not leave and it was just, and a just lot him of the topic talking was well and, it, and he's talking about communist leaders and things like that he, he's he's spewing this this hate speech and things like that towards them and and he would just take breaks right. to take a mouthful of ice and crunch on it, or a mouthful of like barbiturates or not. Bar- I mean, I'm sorry, of amphetamines. Right. And he was just crunching between one or the other. So all this night is long. all just just leading up and leading up, and it's building up to to a peak, and it's got to break, and it does. And the the beginning of the end and sent into freefall was a visit from this Congressman Ryan. We're going to talk about that when we get back from the break on Hysteria 51. You ever think, John, about like sales 101 training and fear, uncertainty, and doubt? Like, was he a salesman? <laughs> well, Joe, you know, he was a salesman, actually. In he a, he in sold a lot of ways. No, no, not theoretically. He actually was. He sold monkeys, remember? Oh, the monkeys. Yeah. Come on. Um, now I'm a... B- Never mind. Um, oh, all right. Oh, that was good. I was I was going with you. No, you cut it off at exactly the right moment. <laughs> We're too busy preaching. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. So one other thing that we should probably... Uh, we should Multi-level. Probably, deep cut there. Multiple <laughs> levels right there. One thing we should probably touch on before we before we get into... What happened next is the concept of white knights and and what went along with that. We mentioned that he ruled through fear. And one of the ways in which he ruled through fear was he kept telling people that they're after us. They're after us. And whenever he wanted that emergency to happen, that he that they were coming, he, he was getting them all ready by by having a white knight. And, and the, 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 it was called a white knight because there was originally a term called a black day. And I guess a black day referenced somehow an emergency. And he, he said, well, that's racist. So let's call it a white night. So whenever he would get on the PA and yell, white night, white night, white night, 
all of the people of Jonestown were required to go to the main center pavilion and come listen to him. And at these white nights, not only would he go on and on and on and on, not only would they do some of the punishment we talked about, but he also would say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. Fuck it. We're all going to die tonight. And he would bring out Kool-Aid, Flavor-Aid, Punch, and have everyone drink it. Yeah, I don't think it was drank. Purple drank. Um, (laughs) And he would have everyone drink it and say, and say this. Mazel tov. (laughs) 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 The black eyed peas did not play. Um, So so they, so he would, he would, and then he'd say, okay, now is everyone okay with dying tonight? And, uh, you know, one or two people would raise their hand and he'd lecture them for hours as to why. They're, they should all be raising their hand, and they'd do it again, and then they'd have another white night a few days later, another Tonight's one. Tonight's gonna be a white night. And yeah. then eventually, eventually, <laughs> folks were so, folks were so tired of this, and so mentally drained, and they're only getting one hour of sleep, and they're so used to it too, because they've been, they keep getting handed these cups that they're told are poison, but aren't poison, aren't. that eventually they all raise their hand in resignation, and say, "I'm ready to die tonight." And that happened over and yeah. over and over. And they wonder chance? how they can get a false confession on someone. Right. Well, and the, the idea, too, is that the, the White Knights, they first, like, from the first one to the second one, maybe a couple weeks, eventually, they were almost every night. Right. Did he, was he a rogue Green Lantern that just had it slightly Brightest wrong in Brightest Blackest Star. Night? No yeah. evil shall escape his sight. Yeah, he just had it a Let little bit wrong. Worship evil's might. Okay. Beware his power, uh, Jim Jones. <laughs> You're fired, Joe. Don't ever bring up Green Lantern again. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's, yeah, it sometimes a, yeah, I forget. It's, it's above this petty piece is. of shit show. <laughs> 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 so we were talking about this is spelling the beginning of the end. And this, in November of 78, U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan traveled to Guyana to inspect the people's temple and what was going on the the whole grounds the the compound everything he was investigating rumors that some members of the cult were being held against their will now correct me on this one did he also was part of this that custody issue yes with uh was john it Sta- uh, uh grace stone's stone, boy stone's girl boy son tim, right tim and grace stone yeah their son john victor stone Tim, as we know, Jim will make people sign things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had Tim sign a document that said that Jim Jones was actually the father of that child mm-hmm. and not Tim himself. Yeah. And so they're pushing back on that. Uh, 60 families came forward to Leo Ryan and said, we need your help. So he went there on behalf of them to check on their their family members. And he arrived in Jonestown November 17th, but he actually arrived in Guyana a few days prior. Right. And Jones was known to like play games and he, he made them wait. He made them wait like three days in Georgetown before he let them come. So on the 17th, they come. And what's crazy and everything about this is crazy. People there, when he got there, were telling him how great it was. I they love were being here about the life. They actually had a huge party. Everyone seemed to be in good spirits. He even remarked, and we're actually we're going to play a clip of this. I think that all of you know that I'm here to find out more about uh, questions that have been raised about your operation here. But I can tell you right now that from the few conversations I've had with some of the folks here already this evening, that uh, whatever the comments are, there are some people here who believe that this is the best thing that ever happened in their whole life. <laughs>
It's so sad. And watch how long the, the, the listen to how long the response is to him. Yeah, it's almost oh, the applause. Sh- yeah, it's like ten minutes long. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they'd the better following not. day, though, things change. And the big takeaway, and I'll bring this up later too. The big takeaway is it didn't need to, even from the crazy aspects of it. When Leo was leaving, things weren't that bad. The next day, though, is the day he's going to return home. Of the 60 families that he interviewed, none of them wanted to leave. People did come forward, though, and say You mean the family members yeah. of, the, of the people of that the complained? Of the 60 families. They were all like, yeah, we're, we're fine. Yeah, we're good. About and 15 people did come forward and say they were wanting to leave. And they were passing notes as well. Yes. In saying, fact, one of the main members of the Concerned Relatives group is a man named James Katsaris. And he was one of the big drivers of Ryan's visit. His daughter, Maria Katsaris, had become Jim Jones's main uh, mistress at this time, mm-hmm. along with Carolyn Layton and Ann Moore. And it was Maria Katsaris who kept sending letters back to her dad saying, leave us alone, leave us alone. I mm-hmm. love it here. This is great. But what's really going on is Maria Katsaris is assuming and assuming and assuming more and more control and power over not just Jim, but then by extension, right. the whole operation. And it's those three women that really are calling the shots and making the things happen towards the end because Jim is almost just incapacitated. And where was Marceline during this? Because she was mother for so she long. She was there. She she was in bad health. and Okay. Well, she was in bad health, and then she also just uh, accepted. The story of Marceline is just uh, almost tragic in the sense that she accepted all this, all the women, all the other things, all the other relationships that Jim would have as part of her duty and mm. her, she had to do it in her mind she she was doing the right thing and by staying with him a lot of the supposition uh is that she really just did all of this for her kids mm. um which is not an excuse in any way shape no, or form because no. there's 900 people along there with you i was told um, to, you know uh, yeah right but uh the, you know the the other thing you mentioned how when the congressman got there mm. how they all said how great it was mm-hmm. They were uh, quizzed because they they had well they they had much advanced notice. They had a <laughs> Not lot even of, including that, the three days uh, that they made them wait. Right, the right, right. They had a lot more than that advanced notice that the the congressman would be coming, and so he would quiz the people at these white nights. He would say, "Okay, he comes up to you and he says, how do you like it here? What's your response?'" He he comes up to you and he says, uh, "Are there?" Are there terrible things happening here? What's your response? And if he didn't like the answer, he'd say, you know, uh, uh, it's just not a good answer. Uh, you know what? You're going to have to avoid them. You can't talk to them. And by the way, I'm going to have to assign you some homework. And 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 his what his version of homework was? I think he called them classes. It wasn't good. It was it was just another another punishment. And so these people were as if they hadn't been conditioned enough. They were conditioned to say exactly what they were supposed to the moment they were asked those questions by the congressman. That's why it was so astonishing that the next day on the 18th, when the congressman was going to leave, these people, like you said, started passing notes, started saying things. You got 900 people there, 15 people is all it was that came forward and said, hey, we want to leave. And that shook them so much that someone pulled a knife on the the congressman and tried to kill him yes. and and other other jonestown members actually jumped on him with with a help and they subdued this guy they literally tried to kill him right there because he was going to take these away and here's the thing he sat down and had a long like 44 minute conversation with jones and jones was like you know these people are liars they're, they're whatever they tell you in light and congressman was like this this is the gist of it 
for all intents and purposes, I'm happy with what's going on here. Everyone seems to be happy. And most of the people that are upset, he goes, I'm chalking it up to you're in the middle of nowhere and they feel right. trapped, not trapped by you, right. trapped by a jungle. And they're just, it's, it's anxiety. He goes, I'm going to go back and really give you a favorable report. And those 60 families that sent me here, every one of them are going to know your loved one is an adult. They're happy to be where they are. There's nothing you can do about it. You mentioned the note that they that they passed to the congressman. Actually, it wasn't passed to the congressman. Uh, the guy who passed it didn't know who was a congressman, who was a who was a news anchor, etc. Passed it to one of the news guys, and it said, "You know, help get us out of here, Jones, Jonestown." I'm forgetting the gentleman's name at the moment. It was Vern Gosney. Thank Vern. And um, when he left, he's one of the people that left. He left his son at Jonestown. And that's one of the things and, that's on the tape. Yeah. yeah. And he says, and he says, um, you know, I was confused at the time. My son was black. This is a white guy. Uh, and I just thought he'd be better off at Jonestown because of all the racism in America. So he left him there. And that's what Jim Jones was using as a detraction. If you listen to the tape, he's like, this guy's, it's so terrible. And he's leaving his son here. What's, what's that say about him? And he was using that against him. And after they were going to leave, and the congressman told him, I, you're good for you. Everything's fine. He turned to his people and go, it's a total loss. That's what he was. Remind- uh, we failed. It's a total loss. Before the congressman left Jonestown, he was actually going to stay another night to go ha- around and question the rest of the folks there and just make sure there's no one else that actually wanted to leave. Um, and as they were sitting there talking, he was literally talking to Jim Jones and a few subordinates. One of the members of Jonestown run up behind him with a knife, put it to his neck and said, you're going to die, motherfucker. And uh, a couple of people jump on that guy. And uh, the congressman is not hurt in any way. There's blood on his shirt and his shirt is torn. But the, sh- the blood is actually from the knife wielder uh, who cut his own hand in the scuff. The funny part was right. Not funny. Right after that, people are like, you really do need to leave. Vernon Gosney said that to him yeah. before the. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And then after that happened, he's like, maybe I should go. Yep. yep. And the thing about Leo Ryan is, too, you know, uh, he knew he was well known to be this kind of guy who, you know, you might wonder if he was just about to be attacked. And then the next day is still going to be like, OK, good. Good report for you. Well, why would he do that? Right. But Leo Ryan was kind of known for being this kind of maverick dude. You know, he had done this thing with a, a prison investigation where he spent a week in a jail. Yeah. As an inmate. As an inmate. Yeah. And nobody else knew it. Like all the other inmates didn't know who he really was. Yep. And so Leo Ryan would do these kinds of things. It's not odd that Leo Ryan was the one that went. They make their way to the plane, you know, and like, like Chris was alluding to, there was more of them. They needed a second plane. Well, they were followed. People from Jonestown in a tractor pull up. They got a trailer behind it. They get out and literally open fire and to be clear jane uh, jim jones told them to follow them right absolutely they open fire on this group of the people that are trying to leave and the news crew that was there filming it and, and the congressman and, and there was a, there was a mole uh from jonestown there was a guy who was uh 100 on jim jones's side he ran up at the last minute as they were pulling away from jonestown and said i want to leave too i want to leave mm-hmm. And they said, okay, so they get to the airstrip and, and the congressman himself pads the guy down, doesn't find anything that he gets on one of the first planes that's going to leave. And as they're about to take off and as those other gunmen pull up, he starts shooting people inside the plane. Right. All told five people, including Ryan and three members of the press were shot and killed. 
11 others were wounded. It's a miracle any survived, and they laid there bleeding for 22 hours before anyone got to them. The guy that jumped in on the tractor, there's uh, some reports later that the people that were on the truck, when they saw him get on, they knew things were going to The jig was up, yeah. Right. And that man was Larry Layton. And his sister, Carolyn Layton. Oh, yeah. Was the original mistress of Jim Jones and one of the original, like one of the main, with her and, uh, and Maria Katsaris at the end, who were the real drivers of the end game. Larry Layton was the one that lit the fuse, you know, like started off with the, right. with the killing of the congressman. Right. And Carolyn Layton, her original idea, it wasn't the flavor age. She was, go- she, her thing was that she wanted to take small groups out at a time and shoot them. Just the right. whole, the whole, wow. And, of, uh, go through yeah. all 900 plus people yeah, and shoot, do it that yeah, way. She was going to, she was going to try to kill him. But then, uh, Ann Moore, who was in kind of in charge of the, you know, where the medicines and the drugs and all that stuff. Um, she was the one that kind of mixed up the brew. They'd been practicing. And so they knew what they were going to do. And the other side note is they had been receiving packages every month of cyanide because Jim Jones has his jeweler license and they were using it to work with gold. Yeah. So he's getting these shipments of pounds every month of cyanide. So they have it there and they find out he comes back. There's audio of all this. He's like, the congressman has been killed. Pretty much. It's, it's time to die. He, it's funny. Uh, not, it's certainly not funny. It's interesting. It, it, they call it the death tape. It's when he has gathered everyone together for the final white night. And he's saying, you know, it's pretty much the end. It, 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 there's nothing else we can do. It's, it's time for us to die. And this is before they know that anything has been carried out towards the congressman. But he says, I know for a fact that someone, while they're in the air, is going to shoot the pilot of that right. plane. Right. And that plane is going to go down. And then the American fascists will paratroop in here yep. and they will take your kids and torture them. And this is this is all before they'd come back and actually said the congressman is dead. Mm-hmm. And so he's getting them all ready because he's the one who issued the order. And he says, it's time, my children, to commit revolutionary suicide. And his theory was you can go down in history saying you chose your own way to go. And it's your commitment to refuse capitalism and in support of socialism if you kill yourself. People tried to plead with him and he demanded the deaths of everyone, man, woman and child. And, and that's important. People were poisoned and if you didn't take it they did autopsies only of the first 200 bodies and they stopped 70 of them had injection wounds so they figure those people were murdered the most vocal dissenter her name was christine miller mm-hmm. and she and is on tape there's a long tape. back and forth about between the, her uh, and Soviet jim Union jones and about Russia. Yeah, we could go li- yeah i mean and it, you know at one point maybe it's just her idealism but it also kind of feels like she'll say anything just like, hey, how about we not kill a thousand people right now? You know, mm-hmm. and and it, she's trying to be a it's amazing that one person speaking up doesn't lead to a second and a third. Mm-hmm. You, you, you most of the time in general settings, uh, you know, the the what is it? They, the, the pebble starts the avalanche or whatever. It, it's just one after another. And it and it casts a cascading effect. And it does not have that cascading effect because these people have been so well. It's ingrained, indoctrinated into them. And also, I think the other thing that's worth to point out, you were talking about the syringes. Mm-hmm. You know, first, uh, they pull out the poison, and it's time, okay? They, they start with the children. And this is this is the hardest part of this. I don't know why it is, why, why children are more difficult than adults, but it, I guess maybe because children just for 100% have no choice. 
and they're taking um, like the kind of syringes that aren't needles, but just mm-hmm. shoot liquid. Like if you're getting it, giving a kid medicine and they just start taking infants and babies and two year olds and three year olds and putting this in them. And, and, and you can hear Jones saying in that tape, it doesn't hurt. They're, they're just giving you that face because it doesn't taste great. It's a little bitter. bitter. It's just bitter. And you know that right then they're poisoning 300 children. Mm-hmm. And then it goes mm-hmm. on to the adults. And you've got Christine Miller dissenting. But what we don't know is the other 600 plus adults, right. what exactly was happening with them? Certainly you can hear a few clapping and applauding in that tape. But the line between I want to do this and I have a gun to my head, so I better drink this with the hope that this is the 307th time that he's faking it. Is is a thin one. Yeah. So it said God. they were interviewing one of the guys, and he said that that hope went out in about five minutes when people started foaming at the mouth and dying. And he said a lot of people that wanted no part of it then were just defeated and just said, "Fuck it, I'll die." And that is another hard thing to swallow. Like you said, more than three hundred children died. People were just doing. Mothers are killing their babies, holding them, so they can kill themselves. You know, it, it was the look of the of the bodies is when you see four or five people laying right next to each other, and some of them have their arms around. Yes, the and others. he is still on the PA system, just still saying, talking. Die with a degree of dignity. Lay your life down with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. Mother, 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 please, mother, please. These are these haunting things that he's saying. Die with a little dignity, mother. Please die. As hard as this episode probably is to listen to, if you are listening to this, I just you know, just kind of take the gist of the story from us. Don't go listen to the death tape. It is disturbing and it's, it's not hor- worth listening to. He it says is on horrible. there, and this is what this is his outlook. He said I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguish cries. Death is a million times preferable to 10 more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. Yeah, are you talking to yourself, you fucking asshole? And it was, he kept telling him how not bad the flavor aid was, and, and it was such an easy thing. But yet, he himself did not take it. Shot no, himself. he, um, they figure it was self inflicted. They said. Or did Carolyn Layton shoot him? Well, they think he shot himself oh, by the placement of his body, and oh, they, okay. they they do believe he shot himself. He laid his head on a pillow, and 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 killed himself that way. He didn't take the poison. There were survivors, three high-ranking temple members. They claim they were given assignment, and they thereby escaped death. Tim Carter, he's the one we talked about before. His brother Mike, they were thirty and twenty, and Mike Prokes, who was thirty-one. We're given luggage containing $550,000 in U.S. currency, $130,000 in Guyanese currency, and an envelope which was they were told to deliver to the Soviet embassy in Georgetown. And the envelope contained two passports and three instruction letters, the first of uh, stating, Dear Comrade and the guy that was there at the embassy, the following is a letter of instructions regarding all of our assets that we want to leave to the Communist Party of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Enclosed in this letter are letters with instructs to banks to send the cashier's checks to you. I am doing this on behalf of the People's Temple because we as communists want our money to be of benefit to help our oppressed peoples all over the world or in any way that your decision making body sees fit. Now, he sends these people to live. He also there was a basketball tournament going on in Georgetown, the capital. 
his son, Jim Jones Jr., and others were there. He actually called three, them, three of his time sons. to kill yourself. And some of them did. Jim Jones Jr., his son, was like, no, right. no, There's, this is stupid. Wasn't there a woman who took her children into a bathroom? Bathtub. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And killed them. Yep. Yeah. There were, um, so there, uh, the woman was with uh, two small children and her teenage daughter. The father, the former husband who was not a part of the People's Temple, had flown to Guyana. But he was not one that was allowed to come to Jonestown. Mm-hmm. So he just went to the um, the People's Temple house yeah, in they, Georgetown. That was they their had a, like, they had base of operations. Yeah. And he was there. He had a nice day the day before with the wife, the daughter, the kids, etc. And then they got the call. Uh, they said, okay, well, um, uh, why don't you come back tomorrow? We'll, we'll talk about our future plans, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But that was just to get rid of him because then the mother brought in the two babies and the teenage daughter, and it's thought that the teenage daughter and the mother uh, slit each other's. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, you mentioned the basketball tournament. There's actually three of his sons, his natural son. Jim Jones Jr., which was the first African-American adopted son that we talked about before, and then one other son that I'm forgetting the name of right now, were all part of this basketball team. But it's not like, you know, my, my, my wife and I were watching, Stacy were watching a, uh, a documentary about this, and she said, well, do you think he knew and, like, sent them away to try to, you know, get uh, save them? No, no. In fact, uh, the phone rang. And they're like, yeah, you need to come home right now. And when they refused, they said, fine, kill yourself there. <laughs> it yep. was the opposite of let, let's let's show some grace and compassion. So this happened. Some call it mass murder. Some call it mass suicide. I think both are true on a lot of levels. You know, it depends. Some of it's case by case. But he really had power over these people. And that's why I think that's the big thing. So I'm going to ask you guys, what's Jonestown's legacy to you? Like, where does it leave you? What 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 does that leave the world? I will put it in a, a, a bit of a comparison or an analogy. I recently saw a, a Showtime documentary on Gigi Allen. <laughs> and me and my wife were watching it, and she said, I've never heard of him before, and I never want to hear of him again. Right, right. And I am fascinated by and Gigi Allen. Because who's Gigi he, Allen? Gigi oh, Allen man. was a, a punk rocker in the 80s, and he would do things like bash his own mouth with the microphone he'd be stripped naked on stage smearing his own shit, shit. all over his body eating it yeah. throwing it mm-hmm. at people he I would mean, have sex with his brother on stage it, maybe? the drummer would stick the drum sticks up his ass and then start playing yeah. with him um it, it was just the most extreme and i always am fascinated when you find what the limit is like what is the example of the farthest yeah. you can take something a lot of people don't realize blink 182 started that far back but uh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I just <laughs> think that Jonestown is an example of the. You know, there's been the the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. There's been yeah. other cults and and other religious groups of this sort. But I think that Jones is that. That's why that story endures is because it is so extreme. It is. I think it is almost to the limit of what. Right. It, it is such a disgusting happen. tale, and to see these people just go. All right. Well, I'm going to be part of it it's crazy. Tim Reiterman wrote in his book, this is kind of, a lot of people say like the definitive story, Raven, the untold story of Jim Jones. Tim Reiterman was one of the uh, NBC uh, reporters. He was there. Yeah. So he said, here's a couple quotes. It is impossible to separate Jonestown from its political and social context. The people's temple was as many communes, cults, churches, and social movements are an alternative to the established social order 
a nation unto itself. And I, I agree with that. That's how they want it to be. The temple I know was not populated by masochists and halfwits. So it followed that the members who gave years of labor, life savings, homes, children, and in some cases their own lives had been getting something in return. That's why they went there. I think is they, they saw something they were going to get some return. Ryman added when outsiders took the attitude that, they or their children would never be crazy enough to join such an organization. Such complacency is self-delusional. And I think that ties into what we said. People don't realize when they're in a cult. Right. A lot of yeah. times you don't realize until ho- hopefully it's before it's too late. But and man. even if it's not too late, you maybe realize it when there's no way to get the fuck out of it. Right. You, you've given all your right. things away yeah, in your own what, mind. At what cost does it cost? I mean, it costs these people their lives, everything. People lost whole families you know were wiped out because of this i i I hate to there's not really a lot to banter because it's so terrible but what's your takeaways guys like do you have any closing thoughts on this i just want to throw in uh raven is a wonderful document in terms of and i say wonderful but wonderful has in very illuminating and is a very uh great uh description and a record of what happened i would throw in one other recommendation for anybody who wants to to really dig in uh, Jeff Gwynn's book, The Road to Jonestown. That one's great. Um, it's a wonderful nonfiction piece where he his point of view isn't just about the power structures and the things that Jim does. It really takes his entire history. The first couple of chapters are just about Lynetta and Lynetta's history. And that you find out that Jim's family on the father's side was actually uh, pillars of the community and very wealthy. And the, Jim's family is even outcast from that. I mean, it really goes into such deep biographical context that really brings home the point to me that I don't believe in just a person being born evil. I think that Jim Jones is an example of what can happen when Aristotle says, give me a boy until he's seven, I'll give you the man. And what happened to Jim Jones in his childhood and the things that he ended up glomming onto, he took to the extreme and he took it to his whole life. And, and this is what came of it. So be good to your kids. Yeah. John, go to the basketball game. He looked like he had something to say. Oh, I've always got something to say. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, I think Jim Jones was. I don't know if we'll say born a monster. I'm definitely in disagreement a little bit with Chris, though. I think there is choice in life. I think you could be born a bad person, but still choose not to pursue it to one extent or another. I think that Jim Jones chose to be a monster, and I think from a very very early age, he was planning maybe not the exact outcome but something similar uh that he was going to have massive control over a group of people and ultimately was the ultimate 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 sign of control that you could get someone to kill themselves on on your behalf and it's the question about what kind of the power though the power to control others or the power to make them love you i think that's what jim was after uh but to i think to jim power was love and love was power right and and so so them them being one and the same i think this uh, to one extent or another he succeeded in his life's goal and i think everything he did from uh opening soup kitchens to integrating communities that weren't integrated were all in that pursuit i don't think that a lot of people paint him as a you know humanist and and that, you know, while things went bad at the end because he took too many drugs and wasn't seeing things clearly, he didn't always have bad intentions. I'm of the opposite ilk. I think he always had bad intentions. And uh, I, I think he just 
he knew that he had to build from point A to point B. I think he was a smart guy. From point A to point B to point C. Look how he took his church from a church based on religion to something where it was basically an atheistic organization based in Marxism, in communism. Which was met by and thunderous applause by those people who were along the By the, for the same ride. people that were, that were applauding when he would hold up the Bible and say, this is our God. Um, they... they and of course, I'm not saying that there is no culpability for everyone that went along for the ride. But man, when you think about all the tact, you could like literally there there are books written on how you manipulate people. And he took every bullet point out of those books and he beat them down and he got them to a point where they felt there was no alternative. And frankly, we don't know how many of those 900 plus people were forced to drink that drink or you know they say only 70 were injected how well, good no, no. they only they only inspected 200 bodies and they gave up oh he, yeah even better yeah so, i mean 70 of 200 were injected for all we know 100 people drank and 800 were either injected or, or forced to drink like we don't know the numbers and i think that this guy was a murderous prick I'm glad he's dead, and I feel bad for the families and all the people that lost their lives that day. It is a fine line. I agree with that. Of, of He knew what he was doing along the way. Was it because he was just in, internally and innately evil from the beginning, or was it something that he was choosing? It was senseless and gross, and the point of it is, where do you draw the line? Like Chris said, is he is he a product of his society? Was he born evil? Um, that's a hard one, and I think that's philosophers still debate that not even outside of him day in and day out with everything so uh, i'm not gonna to to be able to say on that but i think whatever he was it started very young and i agree with john i think he was on a path from a very young age to be what he was now he might not have always thought it was going to be death and and everything but he sure made that early on an option and there are there are things when he was preaching when he was still in Indiana where he actually says no one should ever take their own life. No one should ever. If someone wants you to take your life, they are leading you away from God. And this is it's funny because these are sermons that he gave. And then within a year later, he's preaching. And uh, no one ever said, oh, maybe that's not the way to be. I, you know, picking up on what we've all said, I think uh, I think we all have good points about this. I. I think the way I'd say it is nothing is ever one thing, right? Uh, I don't think that Jim Jones was just evil. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with his childhood, has to do with his mother, has to do with his father, how he was raised, how he uh, was neglected. But I think it also had to do with uh, that probably created some sort of mental instability. And then he was leading these people. And as we said earlier, is love, power, power, love. He needed the adulation to have self-worth. And that mm-hmm. that at the beginning is it's harmful for sure, but it's it's relatively benign. But what happened was and then the drugs come in and then the probably the part of him that is what with the you know, Shakespeare said the better angels of our nature. But w- what's what's the opposite? The demons, right? Uh, the demons won and they won big time. And uh, that that part of him uh, is evil and he was an evil in the end, an evil person. The point I'm trying to make is that he was so selfish and so self-obsessed that it came to a point where he had a bunch of hundreds of people kill themselves because he had painted himself into a box and he had no way out. And so he said, we're all going to die. 
and and it's it's disgusting. In yeah. a box that, if the cinder hadn't been killed, probably wouldn't have mattered. That's that's conjecture, but there is a lot where the gov- the the governor, the the congressman was saying, "I'm okay with most of this," and he was just like, "Nope, it's all a total loss." So the one other variable I would add, because I, I agree with with Kevin's concept of there's it's just complex. The one other real variable I would add that I always think of when I read stories like this, and certainly think of every time I'm watching or reading anything about this one, that you guys I'm sure have all seen too. We've all seen people who when they're given an audience of some kind react differently in the way that they revel in that audience. It can be a preacher. It could be a professor at college who thinks he is the biggest deal in the room because he gets to have 20 kids a semester who come and listen to every word and get tested on it. It can be someone with like a minor social media following who everything that they talk about in pop culture has to be what everyone on that social media following is like, Oh my God, this guy has seen the coolest things I've ever heard of. But I think, I think that's a major contributor to something like this. And it, and that's where you get to, you have the choice. And I don't know what goes into that choice, you know, the nature versus nurture and all that stuff. But somewhere along the line, there's a once in a great many people that when they find themselves in that position, their choice is to exploit it as opposed to have fun with it and just enjoy the concept of it. Instead, they get some sort of strange, innate power trip over this thing, like somehow mm-hmm. They're a big deal because 50 people on, you know, on a Twitter feed, you know, retweeted them with a thumbs up. And it's like, dude, no, no, that's not, you're not powerful. Um, But the other thing I'll say is, considering that I'm never invited back every week, this (laughs) might be the one that I take you guys up on that on because, my God, this was just just (laughs) draining to talk through this stuff. I usually, by uh, these episodes, I'm like, man, I wish this episode wouldn't end and and nothing against anybody on this panel, but I was like, God, it's just yeah, terrible. That's why we it's just such a thing so that through it. Unfortunately, this is such a big name. At Jonestown has become, um, you know, it's almost, you know, a noun, a verb. You know, you, you use it out of context. People do. It, it's such an event. And I think it's important, though, for people to not forget what happened so that it doesn't yeah. happen again. Because there's always someone that out was there willing to take advantage. Literally a quote that sat behind his throne in the pavilion. Uh, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but uh, remember history so you're not doomed to repeat Yeah, it. it was worded oddly, but that's what it was. We hope your takeaway from this is monsters, whether they're made, born, uh, they exist. And watch your loved ones, watch the people around you, know what's happening in your life, their life, everything. If you can help, help. If you can't, distance yourself before it's too late. What do you guys think, though? That's that's kind of our takes on it. How can they let us know, John? Well, they can hop on Hysteria Nation, where I promise there will be a lot more UFO talk, maybe anal probes, butt play in general. I was missing uh, the anal probes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, Jones did offer butt play and anal. <laughs> so, uh, no, the fun kind. Um, all right, kids, just go to Hysteria Nation, Facebook.com slash group slash Hysteria Nation. It's where we talk about all this mother, stuff mother, and mother, a whole mother, lot more. <laughs> wow. Don't forget, don't forget Twitter. Oh, at Hysteria back of the year. At Hysteria51Pod on Twitter, Patreon.com slash Hysteria51. You can find extra episodes, up all nights, things like that on there. Leave us a voicemail if you want to hear your voice on the show, 773-669-7277. 
again, 773-669-7277. If you forget any of this, you can find it all on our website. What's that site, John? Hysteria51.com. We are not going to play any voicemails today because contextually it would feel odd. And I need a beer. A little gross and a little icky. So with that said, I've been Brent. I've been Kevin. I've been Chris. I've been Joe. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.